0: White Sox fans, and welcome into Sox on Tap Live. I am Johnny Nani, finally back on the air, and I've got NWI Steve with me. We've got a special guest, Dan Zimborski of Fangraphs Today. Uh, Steve, start off with you. How you doing, man?
1: Hey, yo, Johnny. Doing well. Always good to talk a little bit of White Sox. And we are a mere six days away from an actual baseball game being played live on our televisions.
0: Yeah, I can't wait, Steve. Um, you know, the winter is long. Off-season is long. It sucks. Um, and one of the things that starts signaling that baseball's around the corner is projections. And I think we have the uh, perfect guest on to talk about this. So welcome to the show, Dan Zimborski. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing today? Oh, good. Good. Uh, we're glad you took some time to uh, talk with us and uh, discuss a little bit about um, what we're going to see from the White Sox this season. So how's the offseason been for you?
2: Ah uh, well, we seem to have a fairly normal off season. Yeah, nobody actually signs anybody in November or December or January anymore. Uh, but it looks like we're going to start the season kind of normally, which is nice because everybody likes to stay employed. Uh, so, so I, I have no real complaint that I'm allowed to make. I don't think.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, you know it's awesome. I like just seeing spring training uh, in action, seeing videos, pictures, um, here in the crack of the bat, uh, slap of the mitt, once again. So, um, all, all good things coming up here. But, um, Steve, uh, go ahead and lead it in. Let's let's get into some zips projections here.
1: All right, awesome. So, you know, we were we were talking offline before we started here, and we said there's really three guarantees in life death taxes and white Sox fans being mad about preseason projections um fortunately you know this year i don't think that Sox fans in general are as mad at the zips projections which had the team winning 87 games finishing in second place to the minnesota twins here um a mere game behind the twins which i think is pretty in line with what a lot of people really believe that this is a pretty close race between these two teams here um so dan really the first question and you know, that, I, that I'd that i like to get from you here is how is Zips formulated? What type of data inputs are you utilizing to come up with the projections that your system ultimately does? Well, first, just to clear something up,
2: the Fangraphs projections are a Steamer Zips combined projection, and it's done with a slightly different methodology. I actually have Zips right now actually has the White Sox even better than that. Uh, Still slightly behind the Twins, but they have the Twins at 92 wins, White Sox at 91 wins, which is, you know, even better, Uh, you know, better wildcard odds. But to move on from that, uh, Zips is actually, I mean, it's a computer projection system, so it uses career data, most heavily the most recent data. Uh, Zips attempts to uh, compare players to large cohorts of similar types of players in history. Uh, it, It establishes a baseline. Uh, and it uses things like StatCast data and, and and some of the newer stuff that we have available now to try to get kind of a read of where a player is. And once you combine that with the with the data from the cohort of similar players, you kind of get, like, like projecting a hurricane, you get kind of that cone of ignorance coming out. I mean, projecting the future is really inaccurate when you're talking about, like, mean projections. Uh, I think, you know, when you look at a projection for, like, from a percentile standpoint, uh, like, Zips last year had uh, uh Luis Robert as, you know, the 10th percentile projection was like one war and the 90th percentile projection was like five and a half war. So there is a pretty big, you know, just array of possibilities. Uh, but, you know, the idea is kind of just to peer through the fog and kind of get a better idea about what's going to happen. Because even if you explicitly make a projection system or not, uh, you are, you know, in some level, making a projection. Whenever you say you like player X on a team more than player Y, on some level, you're making a projection. So I just think of this as kind of trying to do it in a more systematic, objective way to get us, like, you know, a starting point to argue and get mad about things.
1: And that it certainly does. So um, just to clear things up, you don't hate the White Sox, and the Zips projection model doesn't hate the White Sox, correct? Well, I'm told I hate every team. So I guess I hate the White Sox and
2: I hate, you know, everyone else, too. So as long as I'm hating everybody, I
1: I think I think everyone's happy with me. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, it's it is, I think, kind of interesting because I believe that there is a segment of baseball fans in general that believe any projection system, whether it's Zips, Steamer, Pakota, that it is individuals utilizing and inputting their bias in some way to ultimately come to these projections. And trying to kind of explain that and and help educate people on it is a little bit of a daunting task at times here. So um, just kind of having the primer from you and explaining, you know, as far as how Zips goes about reaching its conclusions is is certainly pretty helpful from that standpoint. Um, A follow-up question that I had, obviously 2020 data is going to be A little bit interesting in the sense that we had a very truncated season, and we had individuals that were dealing with COVID-related issues. Not everyone responded from the virus that had it um, similarly, and you had individuals opting out for the season. And how does Zips kind of take into account those types of things, like an absence from a guy like a Michael Kopech or from someone like a Yoan Mankata that had COVID-19 and saw a significant decrease in his performance from where it was in 2019? Well, I think to be perfectly blunt before I give the more detailed explanation,
2: poorly. I think there's just a reality about that we're dealing because projections deal with baseball history. Everything we know about baseball, you know, comes from baseball history. We don't have, you know, experimental data about baseball history. You can't you can't put a player through a season a million times in real life and see what happens. It's you 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 I mean you can't physically do that and the the players union would be very upset about that. Uh so when you have a situation like the COVID-19 season in, in 2020, hopefully that's the COVID-19 season, uh, you're dealing with something that we haven't actually seen in baseball before. Uh, we can make some guesses because there have been seasons that have been interrupted by strikes. You have uh, you know, instances where players miss seasons uh for, for non-injury things or non-severe injuries. Uh, but you're kind of having to do some extrapolation and some guesswork, uh, so Zips for a guy who just opts out of the season, Zips is considering it just kind of a normal season off, so to speak. I hate to use that term; it's just call it a call it a term of art for for the purposes here. Uh, but COVID injuries—that's really tricky. Uh, Zips does take into account different kinds of injuries on a general level, but I'm not really sure how to treat COVID. Uh, because you know the the doctors don't really have long term you know consequences from from COVID, so I certainly don't because I'm not an epidemiologist. I, I can never pronounce that, so hopefully someone will forgive me for that. I so there is some guesswork involved more than usual, and I kind kind of the consolation is that everyone else who does projections kind of has the same problem I do. So you know, misery
1: loves company. Absolutely. Johnny, you got a couple of questions for for Dan here?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, Yohan Mankata, you know, he's trending up big time in 2019 and then season like last year happens and it's a down year due to COVID affecting him all year. Um, Dan, I didn't know uh, I know probably some of the guesswork that goes into that. Uh, but if you could explain a little bit for like a specific case like that for White well, Sox fans here.
2: That is that is the trickiest problem, because a player who misses a month from COVID-19, you can kind of, you know, say, Hey, it was an injury. Let's just try to treat it as that. It's really hard to evaluate a player playing through an injury because you don't exactly know how they feel on any given day. And even people are, are, are fairly poor judges of of how exactly they're doing and feeling. Uh, You know, there's a guy who feels great and, and is, underperforming or someone who thinks that they're failing and isn't, uh, you, you, it's kind of hard to evaluate exactly what the consequence consequences of that are from a, from a production standpoint. Uh, so zips could very well be underrating Mancata going into the season. Uh, it doesn't hate when I mean, it has him as a three win player, uh, that's not on 2019's level, but it's, it's, it's better than he has been in before that. Uh, and I, I I, don't really think that the question of how much to take into account is really a great proje- or great question for a projection system to answer. Uh, the thing about tools is you want to use tools for things that tools are good at. And for a situation like this specifically, I don't think projection systems themselves are a very good tool for that aspect of predicting Mankata's future. So there is a possibility that he's being underrated going into the season.
0: All right. Good to know. Uh, Steve, I know you we had some uh, one thing that you can do with those is some plug in place. So he uh, hit us hit Dan with the scenario that we've all been uh, waiting to kind of get address. <laughs> Let's get to it.
1: OK, so maybe the most hot button issue in the realm of White Sox Twitter in the last uh, probably six weeks since the acquisition of Liam Hendricks has been the question of whether or not the team really needed to allocate the funds in the manner that they did towards Liam Hendricks and then towards Adam Eaton and bringing back Carlos Rodon. There's a sizable portion of the fan base that loved Alex Colomay because he had a tremendous save percentage and he did some things very well for for the team here in his two years. The question is, would the Sox have been better suited just bringing back Alex Colomay at a lower salary than Liam Hendricks and then reallocating the funds to say the starting rotation for someone like a Jose Quintana and then plugging in a right fielder like a Robbie Grossman. How would that have impacted the White Sox zips projections? Uh, I,
2: I, I think what it comes down to is I mean, I like
1: Hendricks a lot,
2: but I think that kind of the extra bat that's missing is, is kind of the larger problem. Uh, I would have liked, I was a, I was a big advocate uh, for, for the White Sox going after Nelson Cruz because as I was arguing at at the start of the off season is not only does Cruz fill a need, he also causes the twins to have a need. And you don't usually get kind of that direct when you're talking about a free agent, because it always seemed likely that the twins were going to aggressively resign or attempt to resign Cruz. So, they, you get an extra bit of value if you deny the twins that ability to have Cruz as their DH, and I was, I was very disappointed because he didn't require like a four-year contract. It's really hard to have a poor one-year deal. It's, it's nearly impossible on some level to have a, a one-year deal that really damages your franchise in any meaningful way. Uh, and I like Colomé, but. I mean, it isn't really about Colomay, so to speak. I, I mean, I prefer Hendricks by significant by a significant margin over Colome, but just the ability to add another bat that isn't eaten, that isn't someone who's in the organization. I think that was just an opportunity
1: that was missed by the team. So, I mean, in that scenario, had they had they been able to, to say use that use those funds to bring in Nelson Cruz, um, and then plug in you know column a in in the back end would there have been a you know two or three win variance in what zips had projected the Sox win total to be
2: uh with with, with crews there would have been i think you'd be looking i i experimented this at the time of the signing and it kind of changed the one game deficit to a a, a two-game edge which is pretty important in a close race i mean don't get me wrong in in a race like this the projections there's there's The White Sox are absolutely in it. We don't have the kind of uh, faith in in projections. Uh, The error bars are massive, so a game or two isn't that big a deal. But you'd rather be the guy with with slightly more projected wins than slightly fewer projected wins. Uh, But there's a a lot of permutations you could do. Uh, I thought Robbie Grossman was interesting. Uh, I think one thing that probably is 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 good uh, for a sox player is is for the configuration of a park. It does give a better advantage to a home run hitter than someone who gets their value otherwise. Uh, because you're talking about a fairly neutral park overall that's also a home run park so i think that kind of plays the cruises strengths a little more than say robbie grossman uh but grossman did have a fun season and he actually was a little unlucky in the in the BABIP portion so he he might actually be pre- pretty solid for the tigers uh but i think there were other ways that they could have done this
0: yeah uh i mean it's all it's all interesting stuff and i think just from a sheer wanting him off the twins uh, standpoint uh, obviously it makes sense uh with creating a need for them and then you know filling a hole for the white Sox. i really like how you put that dan um but as i'm looking over this um this blog that was hosted on fan graphs uh not seeing lance lynn in here so can you can just uh elaborate a little bit on what he adds value wise uh to the pitching staff
2: oh lance lynn i love lance lynn and i love what the white Sox have done with the pitching staff it's a lot deeper than it has been in past years and i think i think people have missed that that lance lynn has has arguably turned a corner and he also did pretty well in texas too and that's Obviously, they have they've had a park change, but he fared pretty well uh, the year before uh, at, with the home runs. That's that's important for a player in Chicago. Uh, I know that the projections for uh, Dallas Keuchel liked him in Chicago because he did demonstrate. If you looked at his exit velocity stats against that, he could be not suffer as much as the average picture uh, from a home run standpoint, and that that could have a benefit. Obviously, he allowed very few home runs. Not you didn't expect the. Little, Allow that few, but Lynn's a great addition, uh, and it wasn't really. I like Dane Dunning, but I think the thing is the White Sox are now in the you know they're the divisional hunt, and I think it's more of a win now thing, and you have to give up something to get Lance Lynn.
0: You know, I, I like the addition uh, just from the sheer innings that it'll eat uh, for us, but um interesting to hear uh, on the value front and how it views them in, in the specific ballpark. Uh, not something that I'd really consider um, too much until you bring something like that up. Um, I, I was just kind of going a little bit more general too. Um, anyone's like that, um, that maybe a ballpark affects their value um how you might not think of it in a regular terms until you look at the projections like that. Anyone league wide doesn't have to be White Sox specific or anything, Dan, um, that may be uh, putting themselves in a worse situation this year or significantly improved situation.
2: Usually, usually it's, it's something that you see in the margins uh, and not a gigantic thing. Uh, but I think in a, in a case like this with us with a very specifically configured park, I think you see that uh I think I think the Rockies uh, kind of lose out on this a lot because I don't think that the team actually realizes that it's a batting average park as much as a home run park, and that there's a real advantage to getting ball and play guys uh, when you're at Coors Field. I'm not quite sure that they actually realize that. Uh, not that I'd be surprised if they didn't realize that. Uh, and the Orioles had a similar kind of situation with the White Sox uh, in that. Camden Yards for a long time was a fairly neutral park that was also a decent home run park. And you, you saw the Orioles do that a lot over the 2000s where they had a lot of, you know, and they they, they still are, actually. They have a lot of kind of guys who have interesting power, but not much. Uh, otherwise, uh, you you saw kind of those guys kind of filter in and out last year, uh, Santander and, and and you know, Dwight Smith. And I guess before he stunk, Chris Davis uh, was kind of that kind of guy. but. I, I do think that you can kind of squeeze these things out and it's, it's, it's kind of hard to see at times and there's not always a great opportunity.
1: That that's, that's really good information to have there, Dan, and and some really good perspective kind of looking at it as a whole across the entire league there. Um, bringing it back to White Sox specifically here. So, and looking at some of the individual uh, Zips projections that are out there, um, Zips kind of sees Tim Anderson taking a little bit of a step back Um here in 2021. Uh, it hasn't been a slash line at 291, 318, 475. So certainly not the gaudy numbers that he has put up in 2019 and 2020. Um, what what do you think it is about Tim Anderson's offensive profile specifically? Is it just his over-aggressiveness that ultimately a system like Zips isn't necessarily going to believe in long-term? It, it, it's hard to say because
2: – uh, the thing is, I mean, you look at his batting average and balls in play, and Zips believes that a little more every year. Uh, you'll you'll find that Zips actually projects him now to be up to a 346 batting average and balls in play for 2021. Uh, that's up from, like, I think 330 last year, and it was, like, 320 something the year before. It, it It's hard when a player is doing something so different because it's it's hard to maintain that long-term, and we still haven't really seen if he can do that. Uh, I Zips is saying, hey, there's a chance it's going to be higher than normal, but, you know, 350 and, and 400 are, are, are very different numbers when you talk about batting average. Uh, I, I One of the things is that I look, one of the things about calibration is you try to find uh, whether similar, whether Zips or any projection system is systematically underrating or overrating players with a particular, particular skill set. And you look at players that are similar to Anderson and there's no actual tendency for Zips to either overrate them or underrate them. Uh, I wish there were because these kinds of calibration issues are, are kind of low hanging fruit, so to speak. Uh, I mean, there's still a chance that Zips is underrating him, but I think it's Zips and reality are, are slowly kind of going to confer at, at some place because, you know, Zips is at the point now where it thinks he's a really good player. I don't think there's a question about that. It's just, it's gonna. It needs. You need more than you know. 170 games at a 390 batting average on balls in play to to really buy in that it's
1: that level of of, you know, in playability. Uh, switching over on on the pitching side, um, you mentioned a little bit about the Lance Lynn edition and and really liking that for the squad overall. Um, Zips really loves Lucas Giolito here going into 2021. Uh, you have him at uh, 5.1 wins above replacement. Uh, touched on Dallas Keuchel briefly at the 2.7 wins above replacement. After that and, and after Lynn, there's a significant drop-off. When you look at the likes of Dylan Cease, Ronaldo Lopez, Carlos Rodon, Michael Kopech, and, and the Garrett Crochets of the world, there's a sizable drop in anticipated production from the rest of the pitching staff. Um, what do you think it is that, you know, that group of of pitchers ultimately needs to do in order to really overcome and outperform the projections that you have in place for them well i think the problem with copec right
2: now at this point is uncertainty it's been a while now since he's had a full healthy season of playing baseball and that that's a pretty big deal for a young pitcher, especially a pitcher who is still kind of raw in, in in a lot of ways uh And Kopec, along with Tanner Scott, is one of two pictures in Zips who have had a noted bimodal distribution of of their uh, results. And for for people that that aren't quite familiar with what I'm getting at, what it means is that Zips, unlike seeing them as like, you know, variants of the nice normal little bell curve, it sees a very high chance that Kopec is a superstar, a very strong chance that he's a complete bust, and the chances that he's just a normal average picture as kind of much reduced compared to the average picture. He's a very boomer bust type talent, and when you take a guy like that, and you know, he hasn't pitched against major league hitters since two thousand eighteen. That's kind of a problem. Uh, so I, I think that yeah, the projections for him aren't great, but that just reflects that we we don't know. Uh, in, in Cease's case, I mean. Zips is not particularly negative on him. Uh, one of the things is he did have a, a, a flip last year of well over six. Uh, he had trouble, you know, putting away batters. Uh, when you see you know a strikeout rate drop by a third in a season, that's that's kind of a concern, and his stuff should be striking out more guys than it is. I mean, you have a guy who throws 97-98 and he's striking out, you know, under seven batters a game. There's, there's something going on there. Now, Zips actually does project a pretty good bump up in his strikeout rate, which will bring that FIP down. It's not predicting a FIP over six. It's, it's projecting, I just opened it up, a, a FIP of just over four and a half, which is pretty good considering it's a 571, nearly six for his career in the majors so far. So I think that's perfectly serviceable for a fourth starter. It's essentially projecting Cease to be a league average starter, and you know, from someone who's at the back of your rotation, there's nothing wrong with that. I that it's a good situation. Uh, you look at the Fangraphs depth charts as a whole. I mean, the White Sox right now in their starting picture, pitching they rank fourth or fifth. Sorry, the Mets bumped over them. But that's they're in a, they're in a strong place. Um, and one of the things that does help the White Sox, especially the way Zips does, is there is depth behind their desired starting five. Uh, I like Ronaldo Lopez a lot more as like the sixth or seventh or eighth guy you call up than someone who starts the year as your fourth guy because pictures are going to get injured, pictures are going to underperform, and all of a sudden the guy who's your preseason fourth guy is your number two guy, and
1: and and you really don't want that. And that's really interesting to hear you say that because in the last, I would say, two to three days here um, – White Sox Twitter has really just been up in arms by a segment of, of the fan base and, and the population just insistent that this team has no depth whatsoever, uh, whether it's on the pitching side or even on the positional side here. So to actually hear you kind of put it in that context is, is refreshing in, in one regard and certainly a little bit contrarian to a lot of the narrative that is out there right now surrounding this team. I would be worried more about it on the offensive side. Uh, I, I think
2: I, – I like Andrew Vaughn, let's just say, but I'm not really sure about their plan for him to be possibly plan A. I think that's really, really risky for a team that's a contender. Uh, and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with Nelson Cruz earlier, who did not require a, a five-year contract. Uh, a terrific prospect, but also a terrific prospect who hasn't played above high A ball in actual you know, baseball games and didn't really hit with power so far in a very limited sample size in the majors, I mean, in the minors. But, you know, you'd be a lot happier if he had hit 15 home runs in the minors and in, in a cup of coffee down there rather than six home runs. So there, there are some depth concerns with the offense, but I am more confident about the depth for the rotation.
1: And I think that's completely fair. And I know on this show in particular, Johnny and I, as well as uh, Tony and Buzz, our are, are two cohorts here, um, we've all kind of taken the position that having a reliance on Andrew Vaughn as the opening day DH, again, for the reasons you cited, for a guy that's had like 120 plate appearances – in high a ball. So, you know, we're not talking about a guy that does have an extensive track record and for a team that is coming out and directly saying that the goal in 2021 is to win the world series. um, I've always found that to be a little bit problematic and really putting, I think some undue pressure on a guy who just simply isn't as seasoned against high level pitching here to expect him to just come up right away and start mashing on a team that's saying that it's world series or bust.
2: Yeah, I think what it what it comes down to is let's say that they that they signed a DH to a one year deal, and the, the DH works out. The existing players have no uh, have 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 no problems. Andrew Vaughn destroys the minors. That's not actually a problem. The, no team has ever had a problem of too many talented players. Creative teams figure out how to work in talented players. Creative teams figure out how to make trades to take advantage of when they have, uh, you know, a surplus of players in a position that can contribute. Uh, I look at the Padres uh, and and Cronenworth. They had the opportunity to sign Kim, even knowing Cronenworth is good at second base. But they are saying, you know. This isn't actually a problem for us. We'll still find ways to play Cronenworth and everybody. And I, I think that the White Sox should have treated uh, Vaughn in a way the way the Brewers treated Hiura, who they knew he was advancing through the minors uh, steadily, but they didn't necessarily just start the season with him at the position. They let him make it. They let him bash his, bash his way into the majors. Essentially, uh, essentially, you know, pushing guys out of the way making you know push Travis Shaw out of the way and making it a non-problem no if Andrew Vaughn is awesome in the minors and double a this year and then triple a it's it's not an issue for the White Sox nobody has ever suffered from too much talent and I think that you would have kept you know the downside of the team from being less because risk is the friend of a rebuilding team but it's not the friend of a contending team
0: Feels like you're uh, speaking to the choir here. Um, I mean, it's, there's no, I don't think there's any doubt that Andrew Vaughn eventually is going to rake at the major league level, but it was just the certainty. And, you know, you don't want that risk as a contending team. Um, So, uh, Steve, I had a question about bullpen, but if you had something more on the hitting, uh, go for it. No, go right ahead, Johnny. Yeah, um, I Dan, this is this can be just you watching as a baseball fan or from a Zips perspective. Um, I think it kind of took um at least even White Sox fans by storm a little bit last year. Um, how effective guys like uh Cody Hoyer, Matt Foster, and Garrett Crochet were coming up. Um, what kind of impact do you think uh they'll have going forward this year? And then um you know is does it add so much value to where it's a a scale tipper or is it going to be more minor contributions or is there regression in the future i just wanted your thoughts in general um on any of those guys because uh some names that maybe weren't as uh expected uh, to be those as big of con- uh, contributors as they were last year uh, but they ended up doing so so um i just wanted your thoughts on that in general
2: well well, well zips isn't really high on matt foster in particular uh Zips does right now, if you rank them, Zips does have the White Sox as the number three bullpen in baseball. So at least the projections are pretty high on them. I mean, hang, having Hendricks at the front of your, your your bullpen is really, really good. So even if I'm saying, you know, I'd prefer a DH, I mean, that's not because I don't think Hendricks is good. I think he's terrific, and I'm I'm super excited about it. Uh, I, I, I like the, the bullpen, and I think that they've done a good job of building a bullpen on the cheap. Uh, they didn't go the Rockies' way of you know signing endless free agents uh, to to fill out the bullpen because if you're going to go after you know relievers and you're not getting a deal, go after someone like Hendricks. Don't go after kind of like the second tier. I think that's where you get burned, and the White Sox have have avoided that. Uh, I I have pretty much no worries. Or you know, significant worries about either the 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 rotation or the bullpen for the White Sox. My concerns are really just kind of I think they needed one more bat, and they could use a little more depth in the offense. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty positive about the about the team. Uh, I think only the Yankees are probably clearly better from a stand than the if you look at the tier above. I think only the Yankees really stand above them in the American League. Uh, But the Yankees have downside of their own. You look at their pitching staff, they have some depth concerns of their own. If they lost Cole to something and they could, that the wheels could come off very, very quickly. If, if, you know, a couple heads, a couple of coins flip the wrong direction. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with where the White Sox are. And that includes the bullpen.
0: Yeah. I, you answered that perfectly from the uh, zips projection standpoint. Uh, but I just want to get your feeling as a baseball fan. How awesome is it watching Garrett Crochet throw smoke immediately after being drafted?
2: I am a little I am a little disappointed that we never got kind of the Burr Hamilton bullpen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I really wanted that. It just it just felt so nerdy and fun. And I know they played around with that, but it it, it just wasn't meant to be.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's uh that's definitely one that I know history nor- history nerds like myself were were definitely um pining for. But, uh, alas, it, it's just not meant to be. Yeah, so um, I'm rooting for the Nationals to kind of pick up both of them and, and make it happen. It's like, you're in Washington.
2: I mean, your bullpen's probably going to stink anyway. Have some fun with it. Have them fight the presidential mascots or something.
1: Now, look, that, that in itself right there would be worth the price of admission right there. Um, one last bullpen question there. So there's been a little bit of discussion in the last, I want to say, maybe two or three days about the possibility of the Sox – potentially using the fifth starter spot to do some piggybacking with guys like Carlos Rodon, Michael Kopech, Garrett Crochet, um, and and kind of structuring the games in a, in a way to limit the innings for, for all those guys involved because they all have injury histories as well as some innings limitations this year. Um, if, if the Sox were to do that in the early phases of the season using uh, piggybacks or openers in that number five spot, what what kind of impact do you think that, that would have on, on, on the team and their ability to win games early on i don't think i don't think it would have a major impact but i think it could be smart tactically
2: uh because what the white Sox have is they have some of those guys with questions and you're going to have them on the roster and this you know it makes sure that they're not having you know just endless one inning appearances uh because long relief to an extent is is kind of dead in baseball uh so I, I do like that idea, and it, it goes back to Lance Lynn. One of the reasons he's so valuable is because the White Sox have a lot of interesting players who, you know, are injury risks or aren't, you know, up to the point where they're where you can have them throw six or seven innings a game. Uh, I mean, the Astros showed that very well in the playoffs uh, the, the last few years, that beyond, you know, Cole, first Cole, and then Verlander, that. You know, they have some guys who can really throw hard for four or five innings, who you may not want to see for six or seven or eight at this point. Uh, so, if they're creative, uh, I, I'm all for it. I'm not really sure how well Tony Larusa will manage that because it's it's hard to manage against what you've how you've you know managed in 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 your career, and you didn't really see starting pictures used in that kind of way. Uh, maybe he, maybe I'm being too judgmental. Maybe he can, maybe he's fine with kind of, you know, learning a new trick at this point. Uh, so that would, that would be my one
1: question. I think uh, otherwise I think, I think it's a good idea. Dan, the the last question that I had for you here. And again, we really appreciate your time here tonight. Um, say it's late July and the Sox are say in first place by a game over the twins. When, when the deadline is here and, right field still is a little bit of a black hole. Adam Eaton is either hurt or underperforming and Andrew Vaughn just simply isn't um, coming up and lighting the world on fire at, at the DH spot there. Which of those two positions right there, do you think the team would need to address first and foremost here to cap off a division title?
2: I think you could, cons- I think it's pro- might be best to consider it one problem because you do have some flexibility. Uh, I know that that, Certain guys don't really want to DH, but I think for a a stretch run as a kind of a opportunity to get another bat in the lineup, I think that that kind of thing will go over a lot better. I think really it depends on who's available. It, it's hard to you know say exactly where the exact need will be and who will be willing to trade that exact need. There's a there's a lot of moving parts there. I think that the White Sox, if if the opportunity arises, they, they should be op- opportunistic in this way. I think that's that's important as 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 you go into a into a stretch run, but it's really hard to get too specific because I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, there are a lot of possibilities out there. I mean, what what if you know Chris Davis, the the non Orioles one, is having a big season, and 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 you can pick him up for say a a third tier no you know your your number fourteen prospect or something. I think that that's really, really interesting. Uh but you know, we have to really see what happens at the deadline. Oh, yeah. that's fair.
0: Yeah, say that's the tough part about uh, projecting this stuff. Uh, you talk about that with uh, you know your models and stuff, but um, yeah, just where where teams are going to be, um, I don't know exactly. So, um, Steve, I I didn't have too much else. I just want to say thanks to Dan uh, for jumping on and talking. Uh, if you got a final one, rattle it off, and uh, we we can uh, let Dan be on his way, and we'll finish out with our uh, standard reads here.
1: No, no. Again, Dan, thank you very much for for hopping on with us here again, talking about the the Zips uh, projection system here, how it relates specifically to the White Sox. And uh, this has been fun as always. We really appreciate you coming on. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. Have a good night, Dan.
0: Have a good one. And thank you once again. That was Dan Zimborski uh, from Fangraphs. Uh, running down some White Sox zips projections, uh, some other stuff around baseball as well. Um, Steve, uh, good, good to get on. Ask those burning questions. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't know about you, but it, it's we're getting close, and I'm just excited for White Sox baseball to be back.
1: In the um, oh, my God. <laughs> dude, like, look, six days from now, we're going to be sitting here. There's going to be a game. On the television right now that we're actually going to be able to watch and people are going to be able to freak out about some little minute detail, whether it's Dylan C or (laughs) Ronaldo Lopez or somebody not having command that very first game on February 28th and everyone's going to freak out and lose their minds. And look, I'm here for it. I need that right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you. I can't wait for the kind of little petty stuff like that. It's stuff that, as the season wears on, Steve, I think that can kind of drive you nuts. But as soon as the off season rolls through, and you don't have that, then it's like, well, I miss it. It really is. It's like
1: that absence makes the heart grow fonder, you know, as the saying goes here. And look, we've been without baseball every day in our lives uh, with the White Sox for you know it's been almost you know, five months now at this point here. I mean, they were eliminated on October 1st by, by the A's. So mm-hmm. um, it's just, it's time and it's going to be good to kind of have that back as part of our daily rhythm and daily routine again, even though, you know, because once again, the White Sox uh, flagship television home is only broadcasting six spring training games this year. I mean, look, they got to get those, pivotal reruns of the heartland poker tour and <laughs> and uh and missouri valley uh you know women's basketball games look those are huge ratings draws you know so we we got to take advantage of that we certainly don't want to over extend our product here with a, a, a baseball team that people really want to see right now
0: <laughs> oh steve i, I know it it's it, too, too soon, you know, too soon. What really grinds my gears here, yeah, all those not being on. uh, At least there there will be some webcasts and whatnot, so um, you know it'll be interesting. You know, see, there's a couple, you know, kind of generic topics, or I guess more general as we're rolling through. Um, I'm kind of excited to hear Len Casper on the radio call, so there'll be a little bit of that too uh, going on this season. I would imagine he'll make some TV booth appearances as well.
1: Yeah. And, you know, look, for someone like me that I spend I spend a lot of time in my car um, just on a day to day aspect with my job. And, you know, there are plenty of times where I have to listen to the games um, in the afternoon uh, during the week in my car on the radio. So, you know, to be able to hear Len um, in there and this is a guy that's just another good competent professional broadcaster it's really going to add i think a unique element to the radio booth that hasn't been there for for quite a while and i know a lot of people were very critical of ed farmer over the last couple of years here um but if you were if you really go back and look at his time when he was the color guy when he was paired with john rooney mm-hmm. um, obviously you know you look at the old five run here but even you know leading up to that Ed Farmer did a a solid job as a color guy when he had a professional broadcaster sitting next to him. I think he was just ultimately put into a spot that wasn't best suited for his his overall skill set there. And again, just with having Len there being in that chair, I actually think it's gonna help make DJ a little bit better. And I know DJ's obviously been a little bit of a whipping boy for you know going on almost two decades <laughs> now, since the time he's been in the t- from being in the TV booth with Hawk to now being in, in the radio booth here. He's had been paired with some really strong-willed personalities over time. And I think now he's really gonna just be in a position to just kind of let the natural flow and the natural rhythm of the game kind of kind of take place and being able to work off of a professional broadcaster and Len Casper. And it's going to be interesting to hear.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Good good points all around. I like uh, Len Casper's approach, too, that you know he's wanted to be a radio guy since you know uh, in his introductory press conference at the White Sox, he was talking about that uh, being a childhood dream, being able to fulfill it, something special you know in his heart about radio. So uh, I think he'll do a really good job there. it be fun to uh, hear the little more infliction, excitement in his voice uh, instead of having to uh, muffle it, obviously, when he was on the <laughs> other side of town uh, calling games on the TV. So uh, looking forward to all that. And one last time, I wanted to get on because you've been a big big fan of this so far and you've noted it in several group conversations uh, that we've had uh, that are private chats and whatnot, but airing it out for some listeners here uh, just elaborate a little bit on how much you like the coaching staff uh, that the White Sox have put together here.
1: You know I was so unbelievably concerned when the Tony La Russa hire was made that he was just going to go and kind of get the good old boys club, you know, back together. I thought for sure Dave Duncan was going to come out of, come out of retirement to serve as the pitching coach. And he was just going to get a, you know, Jose Okendo and a lot of guys that were with him in St. Louis and in the latter stages of his time there in Oakland, but they've really assembled, I think a very sharp, analytical, forward-thinking, modern staff. When you look at guys like Ethan Katz on there, um, Miguel Cairo, who was someone that wasn't on my radar as as a bench coach, a guy that really has, if you look at, at his background, has, has a really nice background. And a lot of people in and around the game of baseball have just – overwhelmingly positive things to say about him uh, then you look at uh Shelly Duncan and and just some of the other people that they've brought in on the coaching and the analytics side of it here so you know it really looks as though he's he's trying to infuse new modern ideas that are being a little more pervasive in the game but also blending it with some of his old approach that he obviously had successful or excuse me, had success with. And and look, I've I've said this, and I think there are a lot of people out there that have been overstating the point that, oh, you know, the game is past Tony La Russa by. And I think that's a bunch of bullshit, if I'm being completely honest with you. I think there are certainly aspects of, of this hire that you can be concerned about, but this guy has been an extremely accomplished, successful major league manager. He's not gonna forget how to operate um the dugout on a nightly basis there. It's just some of the little nuances and some of the little tweaks to things that have changed within the last 10 years since he was last in a dugout. But the guys that he's brought in are people that are seemingly very well versed in a lot of those changes that have taken place within the game here. So I'm really interested to see the dynamics uh, with this staff and I'm I'm really excited for it. And I, I'm telling you, man, I'm just, I'm jacked up. I'm
0: ready to go. I, I do, man. It's awesome. I'm glad that we're talking about this. We're, you know, less than a week away from actual baseball being played. Obviously it doesn't count towards the standings, but still uh it'll be there and um, it'll be happening and it'll be the White Sox team, um at least, you know, parts of it along with non-roster invitees um as we go into this. uh One name that you didn't mention there, Jerry Naren, kind of like that ad too, as a catcher yeah. instructor. That, that's a, that's a good one. Um, You know, <laughs> Uh, I think exactly. it's a little bit forgotten because it's a little bit later and it's like a instructor, major league instructor role, not an actual, you know, like Miguel Caro's the bench coach, Ethan Katz the pitching coach. So that's all, you know, the big role names. But I think that that could be uh, helpful and especially, you know, you got a guy like Jonathan Lucroy. not saying he's for sure going to make the team or whatever, but at least it's adding a little bit of something there uh, in the catching room. And both of those guys were together in Boston, even if it was just for a short time last year. Or so, uh, yeah. Uh, Looking forward to it. Um, My other thing was that, um, you know, getting back to doing these uh, more frequently. um, We'll actually have, you know, it's great having guests like Dan on and stuff. uh, But once again, those are projections. It's not stuff that is, you know, exactly tangible of what has happened. Uh, We'll be able to break that down, react to uh, news, uh, notes, analysis, uh, all that good stuff. So uh, I couldn't be more excited. Um, You got any final thoughts before we sign off?
1: Just final thoughts, you know, I think kind of putting a bow on, on all the projection talk and everything, I think bringing in a guy like Dan um, to kind of explain how Zips comes to its conclusions. And, you know, Dan is someone that is, very down to earth. And for anybody that follows him, he's a, he's a huge wrestling guy. He, he still plays the, the WWE video games and he'll do these mashups where he will actually do creative players with existing guys in MLB uh, play, you know, utilizing them in the, in the WWE video games, but just the way he's able to kind of take the information that he utilizes for his system and make it relatable for the common fan. And the fact of the matter is, look, there's, there's a lot of baseball fans that really just don't want that data. They don't want that information. And that's okay. But for for those people that maybe are trying to start venturing into some of the more analytical aspects of, of the game of baseball here, a guy like Dan to kind of just make things very relatable, I, I think is very helpful in kind of bridging that divide that exists out there between baseball fans today.
0: I agree. If you're not familiar with it, you see all these numbers, and you might not know what the hell it means. You know, but you get someone on who actually, you know, works in, you know, developing these things and putting these things out and organizing them. Um, yeah, it, it can be it puts a face to the, you know, in front of the numbers, so to say. Um, and it also at least you can explain, OK, well, here's why they don't like this guy. Oh, here's why they're really high on this guy or, you know, here's why they're just going to middle out or whatever it is. Um, I think it's valuable, important, and I'm glad we were able to get him on uh, for his second straight year. Uh, it was good to do that for last year. And obviously we're talking about a few different names there. Some of the same returning ones this year, obviously uh, with core guys and a few new additions like Liam Hendricks and whatnot. But um, g- getting some of these rookies, guys, thats why I wanted to ask too about the bullpen there. Um, and obviously Hendricks is a big one, but uh, you know, um, guys like Hewer, uh, Crochet, Foster, uh, all them. So uh, interesting to hear his projections and his uh, commentary on that as well. So and
1: and and even ju- and even just to hear him say that, you know, when we were talking about Johan Mancata and what he was dealing with from the COVID mm-hmm. perspective last year, just for him to say. Honestly, there's a lot of guesswork being involved in this because yeah. we just simply don't know. It's refreshing to actually hear him say that and and kind of put himself out there from the standpoint of, look, there's a chance that his projections, the, that the projection system could be way off on Mankata. Yeah. We, we just simply don't know. And there's no way really to kind of account for what players like him went through last season and how it's going to impact them going forward
0: just from uh like you said the production aspect of the numbers of what they're going to be and then also just how he's feeling day to day like they can't it can't a computer can't project that so uh good to hear him you know uh, reassure that that's uh you know all stuff that goes into consideration uh with with the Zips projections that they do over at fangraph so um i'm about uh, finished with everything i got here uh any final burning things you need to get off before we uh um go and sign out no let's just get to sunday man absolutely get us to sunday all right uh once again thank you for tuning into socks on tap you can go and follow us on twitter and instagram at socks on tap all of our individual panelists handles are in the handy uh banner at the bottom here go and follow us there uh like facebook page follow us on youtube and you can get more of these live broadcasts Uh, it'll be nice to start doing these more frequently and uh also in podcast version this will also be uploaded and found on all your favorite platforms so please go subscribe rate and review and you'll get them right in your queue Uh, Whenever these drop on those platforms. So, um, Steve, let's send it out. White Sox forever. White Sox for life.